Don't Shoot the Deputies. Hello and welcome to Don't Shoot the Deputies, a podcast run by two deputy heads living on opposite sides of the country. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Steve. Are you keeping well, Steve? Hello to all our listeners. Yes, Russell, I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, recently moved house, which has been pretty full on, but I'm in good shape, all things considered. I absolutely loved our recent podcast with Tom Percival, and I'm really looking forward to talking to our guest tonight. How are you keeping, Russ? Yeah, I'm all right. Thanks, Steve. Like everybody else, feeling pretty exhausted this weekend. At the time of this recording, it's February half term of 2021. So along with the rest of the profession, I'm, I'm sort of slightly wiped out and relieved to be enjoying my break and getting to do things that make me happy, like recording podcasts. And tonight we're joined by Graham Andre. Now, Graham is a teacher based on the Isle of Wight who featured in the 2017 BBC documentary called No More Boys and Girls Can Our Kids Go Gender Free? And I remember watching this at the time and feeling really quite challenged by its content. So it's really great to be able to catch up with Graham almost four years after the documentary went out to reflect on how far we've come as a profession and where we still need to go regarding this issue of equality in the classroom. Graham, a very warm welcome to the podcast. Hi guys, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to having a chat. Four years, I can't believe it. It's just mad, isn't it? Where Incredible. does time go? Absolutely. Now, thank you for joining us, Graham. We're honoured to have you on today. Uh, I guess it would make sense, actually, if we start by finding out about how and why you were selected for the documentary itself. And could you tell us if the issue of gender equality was something you're interested in before the series was recorded? Yeah, good questions. To be honest, it was all a bit of a whirlwind. We were approached in 2016, the school were approached by a company called uh, Outline Productions, and they had this idea for a project where they wanted to see if they could look at the work that's been done in Sweden and and do the same sort of thing in a school in the UK with regards to gender equality and the way that our children see themselves because of being boys or being girls. Uh, and so this was forwarded to me by, by our heads. And I'm one of these people that doesn't like to say no to anything. <laughs> so I said, you know what, it's not something I've really thought of before. And like you said there, um, was it something I was interested in? I really wasn't. You know, when we do our teacher training, it's not something that comes up very often. We don't really look at the language we use in the classroom or the curriculum that we teach our kids with a view to showing them that actually boys and girls can be equal. So I said, yeah, do you know what, let's go for it. And the, the, the company got back to us, Outline Productions, and after several visits and interviews, and they spoke to me and they spoke to the kids and they came down and filmed, it was around about February 2017 when they said, do you know what, we'd really like to uh, to film in your classroom. And that was it. That's when it started. It was a, bit of whirl- it was a whirlwind. It was about six weeks of filming constantly every day uh, for about 12 hours a day within the classroom. It was mad. It was tiring. But it's nothing compared to the tired that I felt this last half term with everything that's gone on. So when we were asked to do it, I didn't really want to to look into it too much. I wanted to come at it with quite um, quite fresh eyes and new eyes and and not have preconceived ideas about what they were going to do. So I didn't actually do any research into it at all. And so when they came in, uh, whatever they did in the classroom, and they they did several things, and I wasn't aware what they were going to do until they actually did it. They just came in and said, right, we're going to do this. I I didn't have any preconceived ideas. So I was as fresh and um, <laughs> innocent <laughs> with it, as you can probably tell from watching the documentary itself. Yeah, I didn't have much of a clue at all. 
Well, you take me on to the next question nicely with that, Graham, because what I really enjoyed about it is I felt like I was just watching this really down-to-earth, humble teacher who was just like, whoa, this is interesting. You know, it really did feel very authentically like you were having your thinking challenged and I really liked that about that so good on you for not doing any research or <laughs> or over planning for your visit because actually I think that would have ruined the the impact of it because I felt like I was kind of learning alongside you which was really nice so do you think when it comes to issues of equality it is really important to sort of have that honest reflective um, openness that I think you had in the documentary is that key is that the starting point for being able to learn about this stuff yeah I think so I think I mean we all have biases and we don't we don't often know about these biases biases are unconscious bias I think they call it and you know there there is a stage and I knew they'd bring it up but there's a point in the documentary where they they monitor my use of the word love and mate in terms of endearment with my children and um, I knew I did it and actually, as a teacher, I'd, I'd only been teaching seven years, six, seven years at the time. I came to it quite late. And um, do you know what? I thought it was part of my relationship with those children. I thought, do you know what? This is this is me. This is what I do. Uh, I call the girls love and I call the boys mate. And do you know what? It, what harm can that do? And so then they monitored it and they had one of these little clickers that clicked, like when people were going in and out of, of the shops and things like that to see how many go in. And and a lesson that was an hour and a half, I used about 160 terms of endearment or something crazy like that. And actually watching it back now, it makes me cringe. Uh, and actually watching some of my old uh, teaching videos as well, it's exactly the same. I look at it and think, oh my gosh, why on earth did I ever do it? And so the first thing that had to change really was that, was my use of terms of endearment in the classroom. Because every time I said to a boy mate or fella or a girl love or sweet pea, it meant that I was then saying that they were different. That was that was that was saying that actually you're sort of a mate to me and you're sweet and lovely and everything else. And so that was the hard thing for me, just changing those terms of endearment. And I managed to do it. And uh, yeah, I've kept it going, too. That's, it's just one of those small little things that, that we need to be aware of, I think. You've just said about terms of endearment, and that's something that Dr. Javid picked up very early on within the documentary. I know this is something both me and Russell have done a lot in the past and could be guilty of. Why do you think so many teachers use these terms, and are they really damaging to children? Yeah, do you know what? I, that was one of the things that, that came up afterwards. A lot of the messages I had from, were from teachers that said, do you know what? I use these terms of endearment all the time. I really didn't realise it was having a negative impact on our children. And I think that there's one part in there where Javit goes out into the playground and he says to his children, how would you feel if, and he was talking to the boys, how would you feel if he started calling you love and sweet pea and the girls, sort of, you could call them mate. And the reaction of the children told you that actually what I was doing, although I thought, you know, it was, it was fine. There was nothing wrong with it. It was having that impact. It was telling those children that they were different. It was cementing those differences. I think as teachers, I think relationships are key, aren't they, within the classroom, anywhere, when you work in school. And I think we want to have really good relationships with our children. And I thought, actually, if I didn't use those terms of endearment, it would have a negative impact on my relationships with the kids. But it really didn't. The only problem I find now is that as I'm getting older, I struggle to remember their names sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that was one of the bits of the documentary I did find quite um, challenging at first for myself because, yeah, Steve's right. I'm definitely guilty of it. And I think, you know, I don't know whether it was the same for you, Gray, but I think one of the reasons I find myself doing it, particularly some of those terms you refer to with the girls is, 
I don't know whether as a male in primary school, we feel sort of subconsciously that we need to soften ourselves somewhat. I don't know if that was something you felt, and maybe that was a bit of a reason you did it. You want to appear to be quite a nurturing figure. Do you think that's part of it? Yeah, I think you might be right. I think, I mean, it's amazing that there's three of us here and we all work in primary schools. And you look at the numbers of men that do work in primary schools, it's, it's really quite low. It, it, I think you do. I think you want to be seen as as nurturing. You want people to think that you care about the children. And I think sometimes you probably do go probably too far when it comes to that, just to show that, that you do it. Whereas I also, you know, I have messages from female teachers as well saying that they did exactly the same thing. They used terms of endearment and they yeah. didn't realise that actually it was having that impact too. So they looked at the language they used in the classroom as well. Yeah, brilliant. Well, watching the series back recently, because as I said, I saw it at the time and, and watching it back for almost four years later was really fascinating. But one of the things that hit me quite hard again was just what a fixed view both the boys and girls had about each other and themselves. And we learned in the documentary that children have quite a fixed view about gender by the age of seven. In your class, all the children seemed to have a very fixed view, didn't they? That boys were superior in terms of strength and their leadership qualities. And that came from both the boys and the girls. Did that surprise you about your pupils when that was first kind of shown to you? Uh, it did. The, the thing that surprised me the most was it wasn't the boys thinking that they were the best at all, because actually you quite often see that anyway. And I was quite aware of that. It was actually the thing that that really shocked me was the, the way the girls perceived themselves uh, in relationship to the boys and how little they thought that they could achieve uh, and be and do. And one of the little, I wouldn't say tests, but one of the one of the things that they did to start with with the children was they did this set of diagnostics and they asked children how they perceived themselves. And one of the girls in my class, she, she saw herself as ugly and that that really shook me actually that a girl of you know seven eight years old could already think that she she was ugly so it was then actually that I thought do you know what we need to do something about this because there should not be a girl anywhere that at that age looks at themselves as ugly or cannot do something that a boy can do afterwards after the documentary I looked into a bit more I've been doing sort of research ever since as it's become part of my life really but I've looked into it and actually some of the studies that they've done in America show that it's five or six that girls and boys start to, to change their views of each other. So up until, you know, four and five, if you went into a reception classroom, EYFS, and said, who's better, boys or girls? Boys would say boys and girls would say girls. But as they get into year one and to year two, it's then that it starts to change their view of what they can and can't achieve is, is skewed then. So what happens there? I don't really know. I don't really have the answer and I wished I did. Absolutely. And I think one of the bits I actually found really positive about the documentary was how it dispelled certain myths about boys and girls development. Uh, so for example, uh, we learned that there was no difference in a boy and girl's physical development until they hit puberty. And I also liked how the myth about boys having naturally better spatial awareness was debunked as well. And we learned in the documentary that this is actually a result of nurture more than anything. And boys often being bought a lot of toys and games that develop spatial awareness rather than this being something biological. Do you think these kind of myths still exist in education? And if so, how can teachers who are passionate about these issues change these outdated views that do exist within schools? Yeah, I do think they still do. It's funny enough, you mentioned the spatial awareness thing. That popped up on my mm. timeline just a couple of days ago. Somebody was asking for some information on that. And it is, it's, it is about giving children all opportunities, isn't it? 
opportunities to do everything. So if you know, get let girls, you know, use Lego and be creative and build things and climb trees and let boys be nurturing and natural and uh, do ballet and dance and actually if they try these things and then they find they don't like them then that's fine but I think it is it's enabling our children to have as many experiences as possible without having views that they can or cannot do something and I think as teachers edu- educators in the classroom we've got such a massive say and influence on that by the language that we use with our children you know it's it's silly little things like saying if you're putting the benches away or, or something in the hall and you say can I have two strong boys to do it you know, it, it may seem like a silly little thing, but actually what you're saying there is that the boys boys are much stronger than, than the girls. It's even things like having separate lines, you know, a line for the boys and line for the girls, and then saying, oh, what a shame, boys, you can't line up as nicely as the girls. And it's just just tiny things that we need to be aware of as, as educators. And those little tiny things, once they've stacked up and there's all these... Um, things like toys have got you know they're so marketed towards boys or towards girls you've got lots of books around you've got so many little messages that are coming in probably stuff from home as well which you know parents have had when, when they were younger and grandparents etc uh, these preconceived ideas of what boys and girls can and can't do that actually by the time these children's minds and they are like sponges take all this in they then feel that they can or cannot do certain things because of their gender which is shocking, really. It, it is. And I think what you explain well there is this almost cumulative effect of so many different um, interactions with adults and uh, what they see in the media and so on. It all just builds up over time. And it just got me thinking there that if schools come away from listening to this podcast or reading about gender and they're passionate about wanting to make a difference, it's not just a, a quick fix, is it? It's not kind of we're going to do one or two things or we're going to get certain people in into school who, um, you know, like you, you had that lovely part of the documentary where you had some uh, people in certain jobs, didn't you, come in and, and, and they were sort of. Uh, opposite to the stereotypes of those jobs that children had and that was beautiful but something like that in itself won't change this it's all those little things we say to children all the time yeah it needs to become almost a fat part of the fabric of the school and I think that's what's happened that's what's happened to our school now it's almost part of our our culture Mm. so that you know within the classroom we've made sure that displays show different stereotypes so you've got men with babies and women that are firefighters You've got men in care and roles. We've had a boys ballet group. We've got a girls football team is really successful now. We make sure that our children have as many opportunities as they can to 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 sample different different things that they may well not have done otherwise. We make sure that when we plan our curriculum, we make sure that it's, it's broad and balanced, not just with gender, um, but with inclusion across the whole board now. Yeah. Um, it is part part and parcel of our of our school now and that's that's been part of that journey from the from the documentary it's almost if you come into our school you you see it there but as educators we sort of live it and it's strange that it doesn't happen everywhere I think that's the thing I think if you went somewhere else you probably wouldn't see it so much and yeah um, it's such a massive thing I think it's such a a huge it it's made such a huge difference to our children within our school that I can't believe that that it hasn't been part of like the DFE change to to get this this in all schools this gender equality and I, we we tried but you know but it's yeah. frustrating it's frustrating mm, yeah and then I think what's so nice to hear is you're talking about it being 
part of a much broader picture about representation. And yeah. I think that's something that Steve and I have been really excited about ever since we um, we did a podcast about representation in children's literature. And it's that same thing. Let's not just knee jerk with some tokenistic responses. We've got to live and breathe this stuff, thread it yeah. into the curriculum. Yeah, it's beautiful. OK, so can we talk about emotional literacy next, uh, Graham? It was quite shocking and upsetting to see. I say shocking, maybe more upsetting than shocking. I kind of I kind of saw it coming, but that the boys' emotional vocabulary was really limited in your class, other than when it came to words that linked to anger. Yeah. Um, and the girls had a much broader emotional vocabulary, but we learned that they're much more inclined to kind of internalize and repress their worries, which was quite concerning as well. How have you changed what you do as a teacher now when it comes to emotional literacy? And how can we help young people to become more emotional literate? That's a brilliant question. I think of all of the things that we, all of the problems that we found that are highlighted within the documentary, this has been the one that's been the hardest thing to change the mindset of our boys uh, and to get them to talk about their their feelings. The girls improving their their self worth and the way they see themselves wasn't difficult at all. Actually, by the end of the six weeks, there was a massive difference. Um, with the boys, it was a much bigger challenge, and I think that a lot of that is down to what's happened before is the expectations of home it's the language it's things like boys don't cry and it's seen as as, as a weakness isn't it um, if if boys show emotion so i think it's allowing our boys to have that space to give to show their emotions and to talk about it as well the books have been brilliant i know you talked about emotional literacy and representation within books i think there are so many amazing books now that you can talk about and look at with children and kids and boys and say look this is a boy here, you know, the, the boy who lost his bumble and uh, 10,000 dresses. Um, such brilliant books that you can read with the kids and talk about. Um, and I think actually this is something, think about COVID and the, the talk this afternoon and J Boris Johnson started talking about mental health. And, and I think when everybody talks about catch up and things like that in our schools, I don't think that's going to be the issue. I think actually the issue is going to be our kids getting back into school. It's going to be them being back with their friends and being able to socialise again, it's going to be boys being able to talk about their emotions because if they don't and they keep it all in, we see, you know, at a later age that actually that becomes then the suicide rates where men are three more times likely to, to take their lives than, than women. And I think it's such a massive, massive issue that we really, really need to really need to address. And I think this prop this time, probably more than any other, when we come out of lockdown and all the kids are back, we need to really, really work on this, not this closing the gap and making sure they can get all their maths and literacy objectives right. We need to make sure that we can get our boys to talk, not just the boys, but the girls as well, but to talk about their emotions because it's going to have a huge impact on their, their mental health. Definitely. And on this point, Graham, in the documentary, you had a lovely little boy in your class called Riley. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> he found it really hard to express emotions other than anger. And then there's a really memorable scene uh, where the children are having a go at the strength competition yeah. and things don't go so well for Riley. Can you tell us a bit more about the scene for anyone who hasn't seen it? And what do you think we can learn from that? Yeah, so basically they have like a strength test. And so Javid and the crew, they come in, they set up like this fairground on our on our field. It was brilliant. And again, I knew nothing about it. So when it was there, it just appeared. And I was like, yes, this is brilliant. And so what they did was they got the, the children to predict what score they would get using the, 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 the hit the bell, hit the strength thing. And of course, all the boys, you know, they predicted they'd be getting nines and tens and they'd smash the bell and the girls would be getting twos and threes. Uh, and of course, when it came to it, 
actually the boys boys and girls did, did equally as well as each other because as it said in the, the documentary when they get to until they get to puberty boys and girls of the same size have the same physical strength but of course our Riley and to be fair I it was one of those things it's almost like golden tv in there I knew he would struggle if he didn't get it right so of course he steps up to have a go at the, the machine misses it three times and, and the thing is with Riley once he'd missed it once I almost knew he was going to miss it again and again because he was just in that sort of state where he couldn't concentrate on what he was doing. And then that was it. He was off uh, and he had, he did have a tantrum um, because he didn't know what else to do. And he thought because that had happened in front of all these other children, then, you know, it made him look weak or silly or whatever else. Uh, And so that showed just in that little moment there that he could not cope emotionally with things he just wanted to be the best and if he wasn't the best that was that was the way that he reacted and to be fair to Riley it's not just him that reacts like that you know there are other boys as well Uh, and I think again this is this is pressure we put on our children you know he wanted to be the best and he gets pressure from you know outside for football and all children get this pressure from their parents they want them to be the best and and you know it just shows in that one moment there that, that our boys struggle so much to talk about their their emotions. And even afterwards, you know, and Riley's off, he's at high school now and he's coping better with things. Um, I've got his sister in my class, funnily enough. So we do talk quite a lot. Oh, wow. But um, yeah, it's, it's difficult. And I think when children get to that age and it's almost ingrained so much there mm. that they, they just can't talk about their, their emotions. So it's, it's then hard for them to flip and to be able to talk and to be open about it. It's tricky. It's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. I think it, it's something that needs to, needs to start at a very young age, like yeah. almost preschool. I'm sure you've devoured the Boys Don't Try book and have uh, you know had various conversations with people about that. But I love that term early on in the book about tender masculinity. You know, yeah. that's that move to that rather than this fragile masculinity. I really did like that as a term. So we, we've sort of touched upon the fact that there are lots of stereotypes being reinforced in the wider world. And there's a great little experiment done as part of the documentary, actually outside of the classroom with some babies. And uh, I love this bit. So for anyone that hasn't watched it, there are babies dressed up in sort of overly gendered outfits opposite to their actual gender and random adults, childminders or whatever, are brought in to sort of play with them. And lots of toys are on the floor. And what unsurprisingly happened is these adults sort of push certain toys towards these children that they thought they would like even when the child was picking up uh, complete sort of opposite toys so we know this is kind of quite ingrained in our culture and uh, lots of us well we all have these unconscious biases as you said earlier tell us how you think we can influence that world beyond the four walls of our classroom Graham because that is a that does feel like a big battle doesn't it when there's such a broad world out there but I'm thinking as well just how you maybe challenge your parent community there was that lovely assembly at the end of of the final episode that must have been the start of something but tell us more about how you've managed that yeah do you know what I mean uh, being part of a documentary and getting the parents involved that way probably helped (laughs) but I think we we did have some kickback from some parents there wasn't not every parent was on board and not every child in my class actually took part in the documentary because their parents didn't want them to but on the whole I think 
uh, parents, I mean, I'm not a parent myself, but I think parents want what's best for their children, don't they? And actually, if they think that by making a few small changes, by allowing their children to, to sample everything in life and by accepting them for who they are, then it can only be a good thing. Mm. Um, the, the assembly the assembly that we did at the end was brilliant. They didn't tell me until the, the day before we were doing it. They basically got hold of me and said, oh, I, I thought we were just doing an Easter assembly because it was around Easter time. And they said, <laughs> oh, we would like you and your class to create this poem based around the work that we've done for this past six <laughs> weeks. And we'd like you to perform it in the assembly. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was, yeah. We, we, well, there were a few times like that. There were a few times that where just thrust, <laughs> things were thrust upon me. And <laughs> to be fair, was, that's primary teaching in a nutshell, though, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty <laughs> that's, much yeah. that's our bread and butter turning around an assembly that we forgot about in 24 <laughs> hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I miss those pre-COVID days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I think I, I do think that the documentary, showing the documentary to, to to people, is is a way of getting it out there and seeing the difference it made to those children. I still think I think it's difficult as well, because when we come to things uh, like representation and equality um, at that time, that was quite a big, a big thing, gender. But of course, so many other things sort of come into play and take over and not take over, but, you know, seem to take president. And I think mm. all of these things have, have, are important. But what's been frustrating for me um since the documentaries i've been able to i've been really lucky actually because i've been able to go around the, the country and i've been up to edinburgh a couple of times and i've i've done some keynote speaking and i've i've done some teacher training and things like that but actually i've i've only been able to influence a small amount of people mm. i've had quite a big influence within my own classroom uh, i've been part of the, the global equality collect which which are doing a, a lot of great work uh, with regards to gender and equality in in general but i feel i've only had a very small influence on a very small number of people whereas i th- would really like to have had well, not global yet but you know i'd like it to have been something that had to be had to be done in every school in the country and i feel that unless it became part of policy that wasn't going to happen I know they've they've sort of included it in the new SRE policy, mm. but it's it's nothing there. Lifting Limits are doing some really good work in London, and they've got um they've got a pilot. They had their pilot year last year where they brought in gender equality teaching into some London schools, and I think they're con- going to continue with that. But uh, it's only small pockets at the moment, and it's, it's that's the thing that's frustrating me. And actually, because you know, I'm a class teacher and part-time assistant head. And I just mm. feel that there's just not enough time. There's not enough hours in the day for me to, to go out and, and have this bigger influence. So that's been a bit of a frustration for me, actually, because I've seen what an impact it's had on our children. I've seen what an impact it's had on our school. But I want it to have a bigger impact on a, a bigger amount of children because I yeah. think it's such an important thing. No, absolutely. I think as we come towards the end of the interview, if we had to reflect back on it, you kind of have there, just to elaborate a little bit more, but can you tell us how you think things have moved on since you made the documentary and like what has changed and what issues do we then still face? I think there's an awareness now. I think there is that people are more aware, especially teachers, and teachers want, we want what's best for our kids, don't we? Uh, and I think that's, we need to give our teachers the tools to allow our children to to be what they want to be so i think 
that that awareness is there not maybe it's maybe it's still only a small amount of teachers because actually there was i was reading somewhere and i love twitter and i love the twitter community but i think is it only seven percent of teachers are actually on twitter which is such a tiny amount really so i'd like to know really how many schools do look at gender equality and the, their curriculum and the way they they deliver it and do they have they changed the language they use in the classroom because it's only small things like that. if the teachers can can change the language they use in the classroom and stop using those terms of endearment for a start and then start to look at maybe the literature that they use within the classroom the books etc these are small things that actually won't cost a cost a lot at all but if you get your slt on board and start doing something like that then um, i think that would have a big influence yeah and i think first of all graham i'd say don't underestimate quite what an influence you have made already i know that's hard to sort of uh, quantify for you but you will have impacted many many people and you'll have challenged many people's thinking and, and coming full circle to what i said about the documentary it was such an accessible way to explore the issue and as a as a male in in teaching to to just watch you sort of go through this journey of discovery it was really inspiring so please don't underestimate that but I think you're so right about the kind of systematic change and when we really want to change something it has to be in our systems and as school leaders me and Steve we're, we're doing a lot of we're constantly tweaking our curriculums and I think there are a lot of schools at the moment that are redesigning curriculum I, I had a local school recently someone contact me to ask me about my journey because they were just starting that kind of redesigning process it's actually a prime time to look at whether you're threading equality and representation into your curriculum and yes that is multifaceted I'm glad you mentioned the global equality collect because I think they're doing some awesome stuff could you say a tiny bit more about that for people that might not know because I feel like I'm just dipping my toes into it and finding out a bit more and there's just some wonderful people associated with it so I want to give them a bit of a shout out yeah certainly that's Nicole Ponsford and Kat Wildman that started it basically they watched the documentary and they both contacted me and they got together and decided to create this huge global collective. So it started off as a gender equality collective and now it's sort of morphed into this, this much bigger thing. And so I've, I've sort of helped them out along the way with just advice and some resources. And we do a Twitter chat from time to time, uh, which has been brilliant. We did a, a live stream yard stream on Twitter uh, for when their app opened up as well so when they launched the app we had a live twitter stream which was great and they if you go over to their website they've got so many amazing resources over there and yeah they're doing fantastic stuff yeah i think it's really exciting what they're trying to do there and what they're trying to do is systematic change and yeah. offer something to schools that is really exciting something i've just start, as i say just started to dip my toes into and look at but um i'd love to speak to nicole a bit more about some of this i know she'd she'd love to have a chat about it some more it's not yeah. just schools but they're, they're sort of targeting homes and business as well they're going oh, three brilliant. prongs so they're looking at everything which is really what you need if if we're going, going to change you know ideas and views we need everyone on board especially home mm. You think how much time our children spend at home that's that's where a lot of the influence will come from yeah i love it graham it's been a pleasure talking to you about such an important issue and i hope this gives lots of people kind of a new wave of excitement and enthusiasm to explore this some more don't let it just be one of those things you get excited about for a day think about re-watch the documentary let it really I don't know, let the excitement really run through you and fire you up to 
to do something more systematic in your schools. And I think even if you're not a school leader, having people in a school that will champion this as an issue and talk to their leaders about it and spread the word in the staff room slowly. Uh, we talked about that cumulative effect earlier. We'll win more and more minds over. So, yeah, brilliant thing that you started almost four years ago, Graham, and it is still oh, going. I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, have, we'll have to have a part two. We'll have a nice chat. <laughs> yes, definitely. I think it's such a huge, such a huge problem and such a huge area that actually you sort of like we've it's like i feel like we've only scratched the surface of of what's going on out there i feel exactly the same so if you're a listener and you're thinking where's part two and you've got some <laughs> issues you want us to talk some more about great would you be up for a second chat at some point and we can delve into some other things because we mainly focus on the documentary but i'm sure people would love to hear a bit more yeah, it'd be great. Of course I will. That'd be fantastic. Wonderful. Thank you so much for a great way to spend our evening. Yes, Steve. Thank you. Cheers, Russell. Deputy the deputy.